Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. AT&T connects an ode to podcasts. Connect the alarm. Change the podcast you stream. Connect the snooze. Ten more minutes to dream. Connect the shower. Lather up with the news. Sports talk, comedians, or movie reviews. Connect with that three-hour philosophy show. Change the drive into work in traffic so slow. Connect the dishes to voices that glow. Thank you to the geniuses of spoken audio. Connect the stories. Change your perspective. Connecting changes everything. AT&T. Guess what, Will? What's that, Mango? So have you ever heard of Poker Talks? Poker talks. Is that uh is that like detox for playing poker or, or what I no, actually have not heard of it. <laughs> it's actually Botox for playing poker. Oh, oh I get <laughs> it, was, it. That's smart, yeah. <laughs> it was uh invented by this New York City doctor. His name's uh Jack Birdie, and he's also this poker player, and he realized the biggest problem for poker players is their tells. Mm-hmm. Like people who like uh fire their brows or curl their lips as they're trying to bluff. And so he basically came up with a few places to administer Botox so you don't show your hand as much. <laughs> now I'm guessing this is just for humans or can you know those dogs that play poker can they also get this treatment? <laughs> I love the idea of like a Sharpe or one of those like super wrinkly dogs just getting all smoothed out mm-hmm. because of Botox. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, I feel like it'll take so many years off the dog but uh, hearing about poker talks treatments really made us wonder like what's the history of these cosmetic procedures? How long have people been getting nose jobs and Why was the Civil War such a turning point for plastic surgery? So let's dive in. Hey there, podcast listeners. Welcome to Part-Time Genius. I'm Will Pearson, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend Mangesh Hatikader. And on the other side of the soundproof glass, really feeling that burn because he's doing his daily set of facer sizes. I don't know if you've (laughs) noticed this, Mango. He's been doing them all week. I didn't. Well, that is our friend and producer, Tristan McNeil. Now, Tristan claims these exercises are a viable alternative to plastic surgery. Something about how, like, toning your face muscles can make you look younger, so... Good luck to you, Tristan. You're already pretty young looking, but, you know, we'll see if this makes a difference. And honestly, from here, it it mostly looks like he's just kind of smushing his cheeks and making this little turtle face. It's kind of, I wish everybody could see this. It's a little weird. (laughs) 
Yeah, so he was trying to explain this to me earlier. He's been doing this old 90s exercise routine that's supposed to tighten facial muscles, and he said it's called uh, cheek energizing, and supposedly <laughs> it's part of this whole face-size program that this doctor named Carol Maggio developed like 30 years ago. It all sounds and looks pretty bizarre, and I'm mostly just impressed that Tristan was able to decode the written instructions. So I actually looked this up, and this is a breakdown of the cheek energizer move he's been doing. Quote, place an index finger lightly on the top of each cheek. Now smile with the middle of your upper lip while thinking about the expression you, pulling the top lip flat against your teeth. Keep your upper and lower lips firmly pulling away from each other and feel your cheeks move under your index fingers. Repeat this, smile, and release. I mean, none of this makes any sense to me. I'm but trying what's it strange? though. Ew, ew. It, feel, it feels weird. I don't know. Yeah, how but only smile with the middle of your lip, okay? Oh, okay. My bad. My bad. <laughs> what's strange is that if we wanted, we could actually like ask the inventor herself about how to do this. At age 73, she actually promotes facer size on Skype, and you can do a Skype session with her, and she'll walk you through it face to face. I am totally going to do this manga. That just sounds <laughs> weird enough for me to want to do it. And it does seem like it'd be a pretty surreal experience. But as proponents of plastic surgery will tell you, most improvements from facial exercise just don't hold a candle to the results you get from a shot of Botox or maybe a half hour under the knife. And when you think about it, that relative ease and the immediacy of the results, it's what makes cosmetic procedures so appealing in the first place. For instance, in 2017 alone, 15.7 million minimally invasive cosmetic procedures were performed in the U.S. So we're talking about things like Botox injections, chemical peels, laser hair removals. And that's almost 200% increase since the year 2000. Now, obviously, a big reason for that growth is that cosmetic procedures have become easier, less invasive you know, than they were in the years past. But Millions of people are lining up each year to have parts of their bodies nipped and tucked and shaped and plumped. But, you know, whether or not that's a good thing is still kind of up in the air for many people. And so with that question in mind, we thought it'd be interesting to look into the history of plastic surgery, including how and why it got started and many of the ways it's changed over the years. And then a little bit later in the episode, I think we'll check out some of the more recent trends in the industry, as well as how a selfie stick might make you think twice about getting a nose job. That's right. But, you know, before we get into any of that, I thought we could start by breaking down some of the terms we'll be using today. You know, just so things don't get confusing a little bit later. So in general, we refer to the term plastic surgery for a few different things at once. You know, there are cosmetic surgeries, which are the ones meant to enhance a person's overall appearance and aren't considered medically necessary. So things like uh, liposuction or, or facelifts, as well as the less invasive procedures you mentioned, like chemical peels and Botox. But plastic surgery can also refer to reconstructive surgeries. And those are the ones performed to restore the normal function or appearance of a person's body. And for the most part, these are considered medically necessary. Yeah, I mean, there's several of these types when you think about surgeries like, you know, repairing a cleft palate or the, you know, unbelievable jobs that these surgeons can do when they're reconstructing a burn victim's face or their body. It's pretty remarkable how far this has come. Yeah, and I did think it was worth mentioning because there's still a ton of stigma surrounding the term. Like, lots of people only associate plastic surgery with the cosmetic side of things like tummy tucks and calf implants. Yeah, well, my guess is that the stigma has a lot to do with the word plastic itself. I mean, I think it makes people think about fakeness and artificiality and all the other things we associate with plastic as a substance. 
Like we wrap our view of plastic as being cheap and disposable onto these surgeries that share this name, which of course is pretty unfair when you really think about it. Yeah, I mean, especially when you consider that the name doesn't have anything to do with plastic in the first place. Like, I, I read this week that the first time the word plastic was actually used to describe a surgical technique was in 1837, which is so long before plastic, the substance, was even invented. All right, so then what did the term actually mean when it was used in 1837? It actually came from the Greek word plastikos, which means to mold or give form. So a plastic surgery was basically a shaping surgery. And that was pretty fitting because the earliest forms of plastic surgery were based much more in reconstruction than they were in purely cosmetic changes. You know, it's interesting. This is another one of those things that when we started looking into the history, you really don't think about how far back some of these things go. And so Mm -hmm. actually the earliest known example of plastic surgery dates all the way back to the 6th century BCE. And it was indeed a form of reconstruction. This was a nose job. The technique was invented in ancient India by a physician and a surgeon named Sushruta. And this was at the time when, you know, it was common to punish an adulterer or a thief with some form of body mutilation, usually by cutting off the nose or maybe an ear. And so this physician was one of many in the region who felt that this was a kind of public shaming and was just way over the line, of course. And you know, basically ensured that the criminals would be shunned for the rest of their lives. So he wanted to do something to help solve this problem. And so he began looking for a way to help these people reintegrate into society by restoring their appearance as much as he possibly could. And so what he came up with was this technique where a flap of skin was removed from a patient's cheek and then molded and shaped into a new nose. And so he formed the nostrils by inserting these two hollow reeds, and then he'd leave them in place to make sure the nostrils didn't close up as the new nose healed. I mean, it's unbelievable that somebody could pull this off that long ago. Yeah, and it almost sounds like fantastical that anything like that could even work. Yeah, it seems to have been the consensus at the time, too. But, you know, once word of this method spread, other Indian surgeons began trying it for themselves. And Some even put their own spin on the procedure by building the replacement nose from a flap of the patient's forehead skin rather than, you know, maybe their cheek. And this early form of rhinoplasty proved so successful that it was eventually adapted throughout Europe where it became known as the Indian method. (laughs) So I had actually heard about this Indian method just because it's one of those things I feel is compulsory if you're Indian, like Mm -hmm. for Indian pride, like, uh, you know, India also came up with the concept of zero as a number and invented shampoo. Like these are just things we know and you are welcome. But uh, (laughs) apparently we weren't the only innovators. There there was also something called the Italian method. And this was invented by a surgeon named Antonio Branca. This was in early 1400s. And the big difference was that Branca used a flap of skin from the upper arm to build his patient's new noses. And this was considered an improvement for the most part because it left a lot less scarring than the Indian method did. Hmm. The only downside was that, and this is a little strange to think about, in order for the skin to fully attach itself, patients actually had to hold their arms against their nose for like 20 straight days, which obviously seems super uncomfortable. It does sound miserable, but I guess in these cases, you know, considering the the results or the payoff, I guess it was considered worth it. But yeah, let's get back to Shushruta for a minute, because after his breakthrough, this plastic surgery continued to develop throughout Europe. So for example, ancient Rome got in on the act sometime during the early first century So surgeons of the era pioneered blepharoplasty, which is the adjustment of the eyelids in order to correct drooping or squinting eyes. And 
Around the same time, the Greek physician Galen performed the very first purely cosmetic plastic surgery. So it was kind of like a nose job for the wealthy. It's kind of cool that nose jobs were like first both for reconstructive and cosmetic purposes. It's, it's kind of stunning. But, you know, uh, not everyone was happy about those breakthroughs in body modification. As Christianity began to take hold in Europe during the Middle Ages, plenty of religious leaders viewed plastic surgery as sinful or almost borderline blasphemous. And this belief gained more traction in the 12th century when the Pope, I, I think it's Pope Innocent III at the time, he formally spoke out against it. And pretty soon after, it became a crime to surgically alter the human body. So you see this kind of thing happen throughout history, but in this case, like what changed that perception? What, what made the church eventually back down from this? This is going to sound strange, but a lot of the shift was due to syphilis. Really? I, I, you know, there were a lot of things I was guessing that is not <laughs> what I expected you to say, though. I know. So there was a really bad outbreak of this disease in Europe during the late 16th century. And one of the symptoms of advanced syphilis happens to be soft tissue decay, which is usually centered in the nose. I had no idea about this. Hmm. But now there were all these like upper crust lords and ladies with these big gaping holes in their faces. And suddenly this like quote, sin of like crafting a false nose, it started to seem a whole lot better, you know, than the alternative of having, you know, a hole in your face. Yeah, I mean, that makes sense. And you know, of course, plastic surgery's development didn't end in Europe and the techniques eventually made their way here to the United States with one of the earliest practitioners being Dr. John Medauer. You know, he and his sons ran this successful practice in Virginia and they were specializing in repairing genital birth defects and then later on in reconstructive surgery. And his legacy is actually really impressive. So Medauer is credited with performing the first hard cleft palate repair in the Americas in 1827. And notably, he completed the procedure by transplanting pieces of bone rather than just skin or muscle as previous surgeons had done. And so this new technique was this huge leap forward for reconstructive surgery. And it's actually the main reason why Dr. Medauer is often called America's first plastic surgeon. Yeah, so it really seems like the 19th century is when modern plastic surgery really started to take off. And I was reading about how much of a game changer the Civil War was for battlefield medicine. I mean, you think about things like amputation techniques or more reliable forms of anesthesia, but facial reconstruction was another area that saw these major advances during America's bloodiest war. And records actually show that Union surgeons performed more than 30 successful plastic surgeries on these uh, disfigured soldiers during the war. And they also pioneered new techniques that would later become standards in the field, like taking photos to track the progress of repairs and, and also using smaller sutures for incisions to help minimize the scarring. Yeah, you know, it's interesting how these advancements happen during war because it actually wasn't just the Civil War where these kinds of breakthroughs happened. You know, like both world wars actually also brought major innovations to plastic surgery as well. Yeah, I mean, that, that's definitely a good point. And we should spotlight a few of those advances before we talk about the state of plastic surgery today. But before we go any further, why don't we take a quick break? This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. 
Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You're listening to Part-Time Genius, and we're talking about the long, surprising history of plastic surgery. Okay, well, so we're up to the 20th century now in our timeline, and we were just about to get into World War One. Yeah, that's right. You know, as we were saying earlier, wars have certainly led to these turning points and, you know, reconstruction of various kinds and facial reconstruction specifically. And there were a couple of reasons for this. I mean, if you think about what was advanced in, in terms of warfare at that time, you had machine guns and aerial bombers that were being used in combat. And... And really for the first time during World War One, and the result of this, obvious, you know, tragic result of this is that more soldiers suffered facial wounds due to bullets and shrapnel than mm-hmm. in any of the wars before them. And, you know, it's obviously awful, but the wounds were often more extensive than surgeons were used to treating. So the good news here is, though, that anesthesia and the treatment of infections had definitely improved drastically by this time. So you had serious injuries that would have been fatal in the past that were now considered survivable, and that included a lot of major facial disfigurements as a result of this. Yeah, we mentioned earlier that there were some like 30-odd plastic surgeries during the Civil War, and that actually doesn't sound like that many at first, but when you consider how many soldiers died just because there was no way to stave off infection, it starts to make sense why the number was so low. Yeah, and so with World War I, surgeons suddenly found themselves with a lot of chances to develop and refine new ways to deal with disfigurements, And one member of the medical community was especially helpful in this regard. His name was Dr. Harold Gillies, and he was actually a nose, ear, and throat specialist. He was from New Zealand. And so he had joined the Royal Army Medical Corps at the start of the war. And so during his time on the Western Front, Gillies learned as much as he could about reconstructive surgery, and this was mostly by observing the dentists and the doctors that he was stationed with. So then when he returns to England, he was actually given the chance to apply what he learned to the newly opened Queen's Hospital in London. 
There were more than a thousand beds there, and these were reserved for patients in need of these facial reconstructions. So it was a ton of people. Yeah, I mean, it's almost hard to imagine that many people needing surgeries like that all at once. It, it's really, it's really staggering when you think about it. Yeah, it, no, it really is. Actually, there was such a demand for these services that patients often had to queue up outside the hospital. So even with a thousand beds there, hmm. it just gives you a sense of how many people were affected by this. And there was this set of blue benches reserved exclusively for patients with facial disfigurements. And apparently the bright blue color was a way to warn the locals that they might want to look away when walking past the benches. And so it's just tragic to think about that. And, you know, it might seem insensitive at first, but it was really as much for the patients as it was for the public. And, you know, if anything, the soldiers probably appreciated the break from people staring at them all the time, I guess. Hmm. So what kind of breakthroughs was Gillies making at, at that time? Well, there's actually probably too many to go through here, but one of the biggest was what he called the tube pedicle or, or flap procedure, I guess. So basically, Gillies would cut a strip of living skin and tissue, and then he would form it into this tube that was still connected to the patient at one end. Then the tube could be laid across the patient's wounded face until the skin graft actually took root. Which sounds pretty gruesome, but I, I, I'm guessing there was some sort of upside to this approach. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a, a really big one. So before Gillies came along, reconstructive surgeries had long struggled on how to ward off infection in this open wound while they were waiting for the skin graft to take. So his variation solved this problem because it ensured that blood continued to flow through the grafted area. So then once the graft had taken root, the surgeon could simply sever the tube and sculpt the remaining tissue into the patient's new nose and throat. And, you know, it doesn't paint this pretty picture, but the technique was so successful that the work at Queen's Hospital continued long after the war had ended. So in total, the hospital performed more than 11,000 operations on over 5,000 patients before wow. they finally closed their doors in 1925. And Gillies actually received knighthood for his efforts. And when World War II began, he kept working on this new set of soldiers that were in the same kind of need. That's a, a tremendous legacy. But, you know, we, we've mostly dealt with the reconstructive side of plastic surgery so far. So what, what do you say we switch gears and focus on the cosmetic side for a little bit? Yeah, that definitely makes sense. And actually, I'll start us off with something that I was surprised to learn this week. So even with nearly 2 million cosmetic surgeries performed in the U.S. each year, the plastic surgery industry overall has actually shrunk by about 12% since the year 2000. That's strange. I, I wouldn't have guessed that. I, I mean, I guess breast augmentations and liposuction just, I mean, maybe they're not as appealing as they used to be. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, th those are still the top two cosmetic surgeries in the States with roughly 300,000 each per year. But on the whole, there are fewer people undergoing the knife than there were about, you know, 20 years or so ago. But the most interesting part to me, at least, was that while cosmetic surgeries are down, the number of minimally invasive cosmetic procedures like injection or laser hair removal, those numbers are only going up each year. So in fact, the American Society of Plastic Surgeons reports that the number of these procedures has grown nearly 200% since 2000. So that's the same period that you know these cosmetic surgeries have been declining. Sure, and and I'm sure poker talks is one of the biggest reasons for all of that. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I do wonder what's behind that downward shift. Like, is it just that the minimally invasive stuff requires less downtime than, than the full-on surgeries, or what's going on here? Yeah, I mean, I think that's part of it, you know, plus the fact that these procedures are cheaper, they're faster, of course, you know, less invasive, like you mentioned. And 
I think it also doesn't hurt that there isn't as much stigma around something like microdermabrasion as there might be in getting a tummy tuck or a nose job or something like that. So it, I guess it kind of comes back to the idea that plastic surgery might still carry a connotation of phoniness. Like, yeah. And I guess these similar types of procedures are, are kind of a way of sidestepping that stigma while still altering your appearance. Yeah, and you know, actually just in, in looking this up, I think that desire for a more natural look is something that came up a lot. And you know, there's a really good article about this in Allure this past month, which is a sentence I never really thought I'd be saying, but <laughs> I, I, I did want to share a quote from it really quickly. The author is Caitlin Clark, and, and here's what she writes. Disproportionate breast enhancement, overfilled lips, and exaggerated cosmetic procedures in general are all trends on their way out. Now a successful plastic surgery or cosmetic procedure should no longer be obvious. Patients are increasingly wanting to maintain their general facial structure, inherited family traits, and just generally wanting to look like themselves, but with a few refined tweaks. Which definitely tracks with these so-called uh, tweakments I read about last yeah. week. So um, there's this new skin tightening treatment that's supposed to take off this year. It's called Face Tight. Mm-hmm. And it actually uses this radio frequency energy to tighten and sculpt the skin around your neck and jawline. It's it's totally non-surgical and the effects supposedly last up to five years, which is kind of amazing. Hmm. And even on the surgical side, it seems like smaller, less obvious treatments are how most people want to go these days. For instance, there's this uh, one procedure that's becoming really popular right now, and it addresses something so obscure that you probably forgot it's even a body part. I'm going to guess that we're talking about the uh, uvula here at the back of your throat, (laughs) because I've actually heard they can go in and sort of like shave it down if it's bothering you. Did you know this? I didn't realize that, but I guess it's good to know. Um, But, you know, the the surgery I'm talking about is actually for the philtrum, which is that little indented space between your nose and your lip. And Mm -hmm. it's sometimes also called uh, Cupid's bow too. All right. So what exactly are people doing to their philtrums? Apparently, the philtrum elongates over time, so a long one is a pretty clear sign of age for some people. But now there's this quick little surgery where you make a tiny incision. It goes right under the nose and then lift up the lip a little so the philtrum looks smaller. And while that might still sound like a lot of trouble over something so small and so unnoticeable, the procedure tends to be easier and safer than getting lip injections or, I guess, using a bunch of weird fillers to plump up your lips. Yeah, I mean, I can imagine how this new method might provide a more natural-looking result. And, you know, from everything I've been reading this week, it, it does seem like the average cosmetic surgery patient is more interested in this direction nowadays. Like, not this complete overhaul, but kind of a subtle, I, I kept seeing the word plussing of what's already there. Huh. Yeah, it, it's an interesting shift from the way we used to be with these, like, over-the-top changes that gave cosmetic surgery such a bad rap in the first place. But, right. you know, there's still a lot of potential pitfalls with these procedures, not to mention the lingering question of whether all this focus on physical appearance and beauty is actually good for us. All right, we can spend a little bit of time mulling that one over. But before we get to that, let's take one more quick break. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. 
You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. All right, Mango. So before the break, you were saying there are still some drawbacks to cosmetic surgery, even with all the advancements and the greater focus on a more natural look that we see these days. So do you have an example of what kind of stuff you're, you're actually referring to? Yeah, so well, why don't we go back to nose jobs for a second? We, we live in such an age of wonders that it's now possible to actually reshape your nose without the need for any surgery at all. I, instead, there are these uh, non-surgical nose jobs that you get, I guess you inject this acid-based filler into your nose and the filler then lodges into the imperfections in a person's nose, kind of filling in the gaps and smoothing everything into this more streamlined shape. I mean, it's interesting because it, it kind of goes back to some of the reconstructive nose jobs we talked about earlier in the episode, you know, where you're actually trying to build up the nose rather than shave it down like we're used to seeing. But in this case, like, what's the concern? Is the filler unsafe? No, it's not that. And if I were going to sum up the worry, I I think I'd say that the procedure makes it too easy to change the shape of your nose. And mm-hmm. the whole thing takes something like 15 minutes. Hmm. Results are visible right away. But, you know, while that sounds like it might be a win across the board, there's evidence that the ease of access is actually resulting in way more people getting nose jobs than they would otherwise. But what's concerning is that people are changing the shape of their nose or other parts of their bodies based on false evidence. And I'm actually going to tell you what this is. Uh, uh, According to a recent report from the American Academy of Facial Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery, about 55% of the people who visit a plastic surgeon do so because they want to improve the look of their selfies. (laughs) Yeah, that's... That's a little disconcerting. But I mean, Mm -hmm. on the other hand, is wanting to look better in selfies that much different than wanting to look good in a bathing suit or in a wedding photo or, you know, like whatever other goal people might have? No, I mean, it isn't. but But the red flag in this case is that selfies aren't actually an accurate representation of the person who took them. Mm-hmm. In fact, there, there was this study just last year that found that selfies taken too close can make your nose appear about 30% larger than it really is. Mm. And that makes sense, right? Like, like if, if your nose sticks out of your face, it means it's closer to the camera. And as a result, it's much bigger compared to everything else. 
I mean, that makes sense, but but what about the plastic surgeons themselves? Like, wouldn't they know that selfies aren't a fair representation of their clients? That Do they just go ahead with the procedures anyway? I mean, at the end of the day, it's not really their call to make, right? But some plastic surgeons do try to talk their patients out of it whenever possible. So, you know, the study I mentioned was championed by this facial plastic surgeon named Boris Pashkover. And he noticed how frequently his patients were showing him selfies to explain why they wanted the surgery. So he started taking photos of them from the proper portrait distance, which is actually five feet away, just to give them a better sense of what their face actually looks like. And as Boris put it, quote, I want them to realize that when they take a selfie, they're in essence looking into a portable funhouse mirror. <laughs> you know, though, I, I do think the elephant in the room that we really haven't touched on is that with any of the drawbacks we've been talking about, it's women who are disproportionately affected by them. Because when you look at the stats for plastic surgery, 85 to 90% of the patients are women, depending on you know the specific procedure. Right. And the thing is, people probably aren't too surprised to hear that. Like, you always hear about how there's, you know, an enormous pressure on women to look like other women do in movies or magazines or Instagram. And since those images are all overproduced and filtered and definitely photoshopped, a lot of us end up devoting a lot of time and energy chasing something unattainable. Yeah, you're right. And it's a legitimate source of pain. And in fact, I was reading about this study in Scientific American where the researchers found that women who believe they can become more beautiful with effort have a higher risk of developing appearance-based anxiety. And so they're more likely to show an interest in cosmetic surgery as a result of this. And so that wasn't the case for women who have more fixed views on their beauty? Yeah, no, that's right. And, you know, as you might expect, it wasn't the case for men either. But what I did find interesting about this is, is that believing we can improve a trait really can help us achieve that goal. So just to take an example here, people who think that intelligence or creativity are malleable, they tend to improve in those areas over time compared to people who don't believe those traits can be changed. That's weird. So having an eye towards improvement is actually a good thing for the most part. I mean, that seems to be the case, but it mostly comes down to how realistic your goal is. So according to the co-author of the study, her name is uh, Professor Melissa Berkeley. Uh, here's what she says. She says, prior research has shown that malleable beliefs increase motivation, which is good if we're talking about being motivated to stay in school or improve somebody's math skills. But when the domain is as unrealistic as the beauty standards we have for women today, increasing motivation may lead to harmful behaviors. So basically, if someone's going to alter their appearance, you know, through a procedure or a surgery, they should make sure they're doing it for the right reasons, not not because of how a selfie turned out or because of the way a celebrity looks on screen, but mm -hmm. because they want the outside to better reflect how they feel inside. Yeah. And, you know, cosmetic surgery can be empowering in the same way as reconstructive surgery. I mean, you know, namely as a way to reclaim or reassert your own identity. And that doesn't mean that who you are should be completely wrapped up in how you look. But being comfortable in your own skin, it's, you know, it's important and it's crucial for mental health too. And if you'd rather just dabble in a lower key approach, you can always try facer size. I mean, if it works <laughs> for Tristan, it can work for anybody. I mean, he looks younger every single minute. Like he's uh, Benjamin Bunning right in front of our eyes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that's probably enough unsolicited beauty talk for one day, but we still have plenty left to chat about in today's Fact Off. So let's get to it.
According to Colors Magazine, Iran is the nose job capital of the world. And apparently the procedure is expensive enough that it carries a bit of a status clout with it. So um, Colors puts it this way. People will wear their post-surgery bandages for months like a badge of honor. Some even wear the bandages without undergoing the surgery. All right. Well, there are all sorts of people who are obsessed with celebrities and get plastic surgery to look like them. You see stories about them all over the Internet, of course, and you know, people paying to look more like Justin Bieber or Kylie Jenner or Lindsay Lohan. But, you know, one of the most surprising cases is this Chinese writer and superfan who has spent almost a quarter of a million dollars to get 10 surgeries to look like, guess who? William Shakespeare. <laughs> and apparently the only place he refuses to spend is the haircut for some reason. He doesn't want the bard's receding hairline, but He's been willing to grow his hair out just to kind of amplify the look. <laughs> That's great. You know, weirdly enough, there's a surgery to switch your left and right fingerprints by slicing them <laughs> off and grafting them on the other. And I guess authorities only found out about this in 2009 when this woman who'd been kicked out of Japan for overstaying her visa re-entered the country and then was caught for a different crime. Her name was Lin Rong. She paid uh, $15,000 for the surgery to mask her fingerprints, and it's been dubbed Japan's first biometric fraud crime. All right. Well, did you know the inventor of Botox, who was this ophthalmologist named Alan Scott, never really cared about wrinkles? So he had this patient who'd undergone three surgeries for double vision. And this was, you know, his way of using like almost like this natural duct tape to patch up the eye. So Scott says he isn't sure who was more nervous about the experimental treatment, him giving it or the patient receiving it. But once it was successful, Scott sold the concept to Allergan, who immediately realized the skin smoothing benefits. So here's something I hadn't realized. Animal plastic surgeries are actually a thing. And people have been getting tummy tucks, eyelid lifts, and laser nostril procedures for their dogs for a while now. And the treatments aren't purely cosmetic. The treatments actually prevent bacterial infections and help the dogs with wrinkled noses breathe better. It tends to be a booming industry. Apparently in 2011, people spent $62 million on plastic surgery for their pets. But I'm actually going to tell you about one story where it made a huge difference. And this was at the Vancouver Aquarium. There was this one-eyed yellow-tailed rockfish. And the vets there noticed it was uh, getting bullied by the other fish in the tank. Like they'd steal its food, they'd attack it from that side. And it was just low confidence, I guess. But the doctor sewed this big, bright, yellow prosthetic eye into the socket. And now the fish is fatter, he's doing well, and he isn't getting bullied anymore. Oh, that's a great story. Actually, I think that's good enough. I, I think I'm going to let you take the fact off today, Mango. <laughs> well, I'm happy about it. Thank you. Well, that is it for today's show. If you've got facts or topics you want to share, you know we always love hearing from you at parttimegenius at howstuffworks.com or find us on Facebook or Twitter. But from Gabe, Tristan, Mango, and me, thanks so much for listening. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. 
Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and two-door cinema club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.